0: Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to YoungAdults.Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm joined today with my best friend and my co-host, Mr. Josiah Keneally. And Josiah, would you be willing to introduce our amazing guest today?
1: For sure, guys. Welcome to season three of Young Adults Today podcast. Um, We get to interview somebody today that I thought of immediately when we decided to do this podcast we've been praying that this episode would happen we prayed that this guest Mm -hmm. would say yes and yes he said so we're here with david kinnaman who's authored several books including unchristian you lost me in good faith as well as faith for exiles he is the president of barna group which is a leading research company based in ventura california as well as atlanta georgia david's work as a researcher is inspiring to me personally and he considers himself a professional listener. And um, he's led his team to interview, this is crazy, nearly 1.5 million individuals since he began working for Barna as an intern in 1995. And David, our paths crossed just briefly um, when I attended a You Lost Me Live event, I think it was 2012 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I just had this vision about reaching young adults for Christ. I was actually interning at the local church I grew up in at the time, and meeting you that day showed me a lot about ministering to the next generation, and I left that day committed to integrating what I've learned into practice. So when we launched this podcast in, a, in 2019, we prayed you'd say yes. Thanks for saying yes. Welcome to the show today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. That is such a cool story, and it's uh, so neat to hear how that, how that made a difference. By the way, when you read that little part about being, being a professional listener, I have to just tell you that I, I wrote that on my bio one day. I don't know I don't know what I was thinking. And uh, when my kids saw that, they're like, "Dad, what in the world is that? A professional listener? You're so dumb." So anyway, you know, don't read everything. Don't, don't believe everything you read.
1: Oh, that's
0: too good. Well, we hope our our listeners are tuning in with their ears today. Seriously, oh,
1: get out your notepads.
0: Yes. Well, David, we just want to kick off right away. And can you just share with us and our audience your story, your journey of. You know however many pivotal moments you've had in your life to get you where you are today
2: oh thanks well that's the question you throw to an old man i think uh but i'm uh i'm a oh, person that's, you
0: got some i think so
2: yeah some years <laughs> ahead so um yeah so I've, i'm 46 to uh, set the record straight which is not so old but it's certainly older than than some and um i've learned a lot we've um i actually figured i'd be a pastor well just personally, I live in California. I've got three kids, 20, 19, and 15. Uh, my wife, Jill, Emily, Anika, and Zach are my family. Um, we got two dogs running around here somewhere. Uh, we're, we're homebound for the coronavirus, so it's uh, it's, it's hard to get them, as I'm sure you guys are, and so it's um, it's a lot, a lot of fun here, a lot of a lot of activity. Uh, we got tables of crafts and painting and puzzles and all sorts of stuff going on, but um, I started working at Barna Group, which is a social research company, in, uh, two th- in 1995, and um, and I was an intern, uh, as as my bio uh, accurately says, and um, so I thought I'd be a pastor. Actually, that was my kind of my tr- career trajectory. My dad was a pastor of a church in Phoenix, and um, ended up um, not doing that. I ended up becoming a researcher at, at uh, the Barna Company, and um, I didn't expect to stay, you know, as long as I have. But it's one of those things where you know, a year becomes three and three years becomes 10 and 10 becomes now 25. So, um, but a little bit about the company is we do a lot of social research to try to use research to understand a lot of things, social trends, what people are thinking, how they perceive their world. Um, And in in the case of, you know, speaking about millennials and Generation Z, Mm -hmm. a passion of mine, I think something of a calling is to try to help connect the generations. I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, but especially to try to connect boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and now Gen Z Yeah, um,
1: has been part of my passion. That's amazing. We love that. And <clears throat> I would actually consider you one of the brightest minds in Christianity, David. And so I'm just curious to get to listen. You guys
2: got to stop. You guys got to stop with all these kind <laughs> things, man. I, my kids would be like, what the crap <laughs> are you talking about right now? Listen, We'll
0: have them tune in next. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you everywhere. a true story. I mean what I say, and I I select those words carefully, but how did you become passionate about listening to people, researching, and and faith specifically among the next generation? Because I'll say this, I did a grad school project, and I just needed 850 responses, and it was like pulling teeth. I pulled every string, I called every, like I used social media like I'd never used before, 850. So looking at 1.5 million, that's not small. And I just look at, yeah, you had maybe this call or desire to be a pastor, and I just watched God use you to lead leaders and to be a voice of reason and help form data that forms decisions for pastors, for leaders, for the church. And how did you become passionate about faith, the next generation, and research? Yeah, thanks.
2: Uh, those are really the kind words, and I, I do appreciate them, even though I'm being, I'm being so... <laughs> great. Um, uh, I. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's, the Lord, I just have this strong belief in God's sovereignty. Uh, You know, in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter four, 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 I think it's verse 23, right right in there. Uh, He says, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men uh, and women, we should add, and he gives them to whom he wishes. And um, so, you know, I think, I think my story, like all of our stories is, is that of God's sovereignty, um, you know, putting me in, in a, place to work with this amazing researcher and mentor George George Barna and again I sort of feel like the Lord has really clarified in my life um, this idea of being a pastor who's called to do research so I'm I'm like I feel like we've been talking to a a person for our company to be a fractional chief technology officer because we're small enough company we can't have a technology officer but have someone who's thinking more broadly about ourselves, so you know I think this idea of fractional work is important in our economy today and in our, yeah. in our thinking about our own calling. So you know you guys are fractional podcasters, right? True. And you're spending some of your time trying to do do things that uh, make a difference. And it's not just one lane. I think this is a theme we've been developing for a number of years called multi-careering, where we have wow. different kinds of things that we do. Um, so for you know your listeners, you're you're working in college, young adult you know, youth ministry, whatever it is, but you also have other things you're doing. I mean, some of you have other side gigs or main gigs. Uh, some of you feel as though you're kind of a fish out of water sometimes because you feel like, you know, you're you know, like, am, am, I, am I really made for this or am I made for something else? And I remember asking my wife for many, many years in the first three, five, 10 years of working with, with George Barna, uh, what am I good at? and she would just be like it's like honey it's like friday night let's just enjoy the evening you know, <laughs> uh, and so i feel like um recently a couple of years ago i was like honey you know what i don't ask you that anymore and i now i just you know i just uh am worn out or i'm you know worried about other the things but um she's like yeah no you don't and i think part of that's just age you know you get you get to a spot where you get better and better at something and you, it can either get set in your ways or you can get comfortable in your skin but um, I feel like God has me on this, this path to use social research as a sort of a fractional pastor. A p- part of my heart, a, a portion of my calling is to be a kind of public pastor in a way that most people wouldn't anticipate. And it shows up in interesting ways. So, you know, we um, we did a big study called The Connected Generation with World Vision yeah. and um, really would commend that study, recommend that study to your audience uh, because We've done a lot of work at understanding life in the anxious age and, you know, the sort of spiritual journeys of this generation. And you can learn more all about that study at theconnectedgeneration.com. But as an example of this sort of fractional pastor role, um, we, we were invited to do some events in Southeast Asia because we interviewed young adults in 25 countries around the world. And um, so we were, we, our team had a chance to do events in Malaysia and Singapore and uh, Indonesia. And, um, in some of those countries, um, you had to, if you're a pastor, if you work for a church, you have to actually register with the government months and months and months and months beforehand, because they don't want religious extremism to to be expressed in an unhealthy way. Um, whereas if you're a social researcher, they're like, yeah, come on in, just tell us what you're, you know, bring your PowerPoint slides and, and no worries. So it's a type of thinking about, you know, kind of being a missionary in a certain way, maybe to, to, to translate that. Um. I actually think a lot of young adult leaders, uh, again, maybe some of your listeners and some, some people, you know, that are that are in your influence, um, Josiah and Micah, that, you know, I actually think that some of you all who are in, in paid ministry also could be fractional researchers or fractional trainers, where you go into the workplace and try to help explain to employers in a mainstream secular environment, you know, how to think about helping uh, young people live lives of meaning and vocation. and 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 um, you know what what it looks like, and so so I actually feel like we're in this interesting moment to try to translate across, you know, these boundaries. So to me, it's a it's research is one of those great uh, places to do that from.
0: That's beautiful. I love. I've never heard that term fractional before of how you just described all of that. And I think that's just a reminder. I think for our listeners, for our students, for the next generation, that we we're all supposed to live on mission, whether we are the researcher, whether we are the pastor, whether we are the student, you know, each and every single day to recognize that God has put us here for a crazy time such as this, but to recognize that He is still in control and that we can um, still study people and still do the research and still reach those individuals across the borders and across, you know, the world, essentially, by the sounds of it, you've done plenty of travel or connectedness with Um, multiple groups around the world so that is just that's amazing we love to travel and we just love um, how God is networking and how he's connecting the hearts of so many people whether you know it's in ministry or in the marketplace and and kind of going out and explaining the fact that young adult ministry is important the next generation is important but David we know that you've written your most recent book and that is called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in a Digital Babylon. And we would love for you to share with our listeners today, can you just give us a 30-foot overview of that newest book and maybe like what inspired it, what what your biggest five takeaways are, or however you want to go. We would love um, for our listeners to hear about that book and then hopefully they'll read it.
2: <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. Um, yeah, so I think to understand, Understand a little about where from, but the book itself is, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the the book itself is designed to help um, leaders and um, you know individuals who are uh, you know working in the church, but also parents and and even young adults themselves understand what makes for a resilient faith in our society. That's and 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 I think we focus a lot on you know making good church, young churchgoers, but we don't really focus as much as we should on resilient faith. And and by that we mean these deep rooted you know able to live against the the pressures of a crazy culture um uh, t- type of people and so uh we studied the 10% of young christians who 18 to 29 uh who are who are resilient they're engaged in the church they believe in the authority of scripture they're they're committed to the death and resurrection of jesus personally um the, the, I mean, they believe in that, and they they say their faith should be, matter in the world, and oh. so that's how we define a resilient disciple. And only 10% of young people in North America um, who grow up Christian qualify as that. Um, oh. And so it's some really interesting, you know, it's, it's sort of sad in its in its way like nine out of ten young people who grow up Christian are not resilient, but um, a majority of them are. And I'm sorry, majority of them, nine out of ten are, but t- t- the 10% who are represents. You know about four million twenty somethings eighteen to twenty nine I should say um, who are resilient and that's a pretty big number and um, the stories that we learned about these people are just really, really inspiring I mean they're just they're so committed to you know seeing the church thrive and and seeing you know God's work um, alive and, and 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 well in in our times and um that's this idea of of our culture is really where we sh- you know should talk about. And, and actually, you know, Josiah, you mentioned the You Lost Me Live event. I was already starting to work on some of those themes um, in that, like the, the book You Lost Me um, had some of this idea of being in exile, but it wasn't as God. fully developed. And so I feel like the Lord's really helped me get clearer and clear on that almost all of scripture is really for and about us in exile in a certain way, right? The Old Testament is about God's people um in exile daniel being the chief example of that but all the way from the beginning with the garden of eden uh we were exiled from god in in his you know created purposes um you know into the new testament where first peter writes about you know our modern day exiles I was just reading this morning in, in uh, psalm 119 uh you know this phrase that, that david writes is like you know i'm a for, foreigner in this land and so this This theme of exile is very a rich one, not just for the Jewish people, but for the New Testament community as well. And so that's, it's the context of resilience then is really important to marry up with Mm. the pressure packed digital environment of our society today. Like for the first time in human history, uh, pornography is instantly accessible to anyone with a smartphone and a connected device. Um, You know, The first time in history, social media, uh, is giving us incredible change, change and connection. I mean, we couldn't live through the coronavirus in quite the same way without, uh, you know, the, the internet, we couldn't be having this conversation today, but that digital Babylon, uh, is a really interesting context. It's, it definitely, there's nothing new under the sun, but there's, uh, the internet was certainly wasn't here during the time of, of, you know, Jesus. And so we've got to sort of think about discipling in this new screen age, uh, with a lot of, I think, clarity and, um, that's really what the book is about and it starts as i said you know more than 10 years ago when i worked on a book called unchristian a book called you lost me and really talking about all the problems and the disconnections and so this book is really about the reconnections and re- what really works to develop deep rooted resilient young disciples
1: well <clears throat> and i will just say that unchristian and then you lost me and now faith for exiles I'm encouraged now come faith for exiles but when I read unchristian I was actually deeply distraught when I read you lost me I was like discouraged to a point of holy discontent David like it was it was good God used that completely um but it was just like such important data and it's like for our calling, it just added fuel to the burden of the fire that God had already started in my heart. And and so now I look at like, what does resilience look like? I'm pulling up this page on 36, 37. For listeners, go get the book. Page 36 and 37 is such a great diagram of like really kind of giving maybe ministry leaders a bullseye target of what does resilience look like? What's our aim for a successful Christ follower of Jesus in 2020 in the coming ages, in the next decade of our ministry, as we think of the next four years of working with a college student that'll impact their next 40 and beyond, you talk about five practices. And could you just, David, would you be willing to highlight these kind of five practices of the 18 to 29 year olds who are resilient? They do these five things. Can you highlight those for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And
2: um, the five areas that we learned about resilient disciples are their experience with Jesus. And I'll come back and define these for you. But experience <laughs> with Jesus, their cultural discernment, and their, uh, the, the, the meaningful relationships they have with others, um, their vocational discipleship, and their countercultural mission. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Jesus, what we find with the resilient disciples is actually believe that Jesus speaks in a real and personal way. Uh, by comparison to the other nine out of 10 young people who aren't resilient. Um, most of those young people who grew up Christian still believe that Jesus was real. They they have good, positive thoughts about him, but they don't seem to have the same kind of, you know, um, sort of sense that God is alive and, and you know, active in their life. Um, so that's the first one. The second is a sense of being culturally discerning. They really trust scripture to bring a, a sense of purpose and wisdom. Uh, in their lives. Uh, the um, the, uh, the the third is the sense of cultural discernment, I'm sorry, meaningful relationships where they actually really want to be around other Christians. They, they enjoy those the company of other Christians and, and they choose to emulate them and be like them. Uh, it's one of the most incredible things you start to see from resilient Christians is that they, they, they're actually pretty comfortable that the older Christians they know, they're like, yeah, they're not perfect, but I've learned to sort of live with my disillusionment with those people um, they're they're actually sort of prepared to be disappointed and i actually think that's a really important point um, you know for us to consider is that you know we have to actually in ministry to young adults today we have to we we, we can't um gloss uh, or spin the disappointments that they're eventually going to, to experience or have experienced when it comes to the church we have to do the hard soul work of digging out those disappointments and delusion, disillusionments, um, and talk about how to kind of persevere and to be resilient despite that, because we're all going to be disappointed in relationships with others, um, and the pressure is really high within a church setting. I mean, just to speak of it, like within our company, you know, we have a Christian company and this cool mission, and we got about 18 something like that full-time people, and um, you know, sometimes people they they join Barna and they're like, oh man, it's so amazing! Like it's a Christian company, Christian mission you know, and, 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 you know, like, I get to work for David, you know, or whatever. And it's like, they're disappointed, because it's just like, it's a job, and it's hard work. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a limited leader. And so it, it's like, in the church, there's all these extra uh, uh, expectations, layers of expectations that you have to kind of mm-hmm. work through. So even more within a Christian environment, a Christian church, working with young adults, and especially in the era of sort of Instagram, and sort of perfectly you know posturing ourselves uh to be known and seen like i think really like that's the, for me the definition of authentic christian leadership is the sense that you're, you're you're fully who you are and you're you're not trying to pose or posture for people because ultimately you're going to disappoint people and, and people need to be able to see the, the real you and um, how important that is and then and then and then vocational discipleship being prepared for life on mission uh in your work and then a counter-cultural, uh countercultural mission where you actually are living a sac- sacrificial, uh, servant-like life, uh, uh, interested in evangelism in the world. So these five areas, um, I get excited about this, so I'm kind of long-winded on this, but um, you know, these five areas work together in a way that really helps. Um, like You can't just do it by accident within a church. It has to be a set of intentional choices that mm-hmm. you make, and you can't do it only just through a local church's work. It has to be this... This commitment that the that these resilient disciples make alongside you.
1: Well, and it's really interesting how you end with the second page is countercultural mission and then vocational discipleship. And um, I remember a few years ago, I was working at a local church and doing young adult ministry, and the executive pastor came up to me and he's like, Hey, he's like, it just seems like anytime we do anything with social justice the young adults really get on board. They really gravitate toward it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, I don't disagree, but I was like, you know, we're really engaging the influential young adults when we do that. It's like the leaders or maybe the the right word that I was striving for that I was trying to grasp was like the resilient ones, the people who are like resilient, that they're, they're already committed. They're going to go like into overtime mode with, I mean, have you found that to be true um, in in terms of countercultural mission and vocational discipleship?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we see with these resilient disciples is that they're more willing uh, for the church and their peers to challenge them uh, than the church is willing to challenge them. Mm. And and what that means is that you know if you look at these numbers of like what we call habitual churchgoers. Um, who are just as almost who are just as active in most ways in the church as resilient disciples, but they're three, three to four times more common. Um, so among a young adult group, you know, you've got in a church, obviously different generations and among 18 to 29 year olds mm-hmm. who are in your church every week, you're going to have a good segment of them who are kind of there for other purposes. Um, it's not that they're, that God can't work in their lives or they're there for wrong reasons. It's just that the resilient disciples are there for, for Jesus and they're there for mostly for the right reasons and um when you when you look at at their lives, they just they're they're sort of they're gonna power their their way whether or not the church helps them to do that and I think sometimes we really i don't know i don't I don't want to be cynical with this, but we kind of dumb down or we we water down our not just the gospel but our efforts because we try to make the the church appealing and penetrating for everyone, but you know Jesus writes about this or talks about this and says you know, you, you, you end up sort of throwing your, your pearls before swine, or you, um, you know, you, you, um, you throw your seeds across different, different kinds of hearts and the stones, you know, sort of prevent the seeds from going in deep. And, and I think, you know, there's so much rich metaphor in the New Testament about, you know, making sure that our efforts are, are faithful, not just, not just, uh, you know, strategic and, and, you know, sort of getting the, the highest number of people, uh, the largest number of people show up. So, anyway, it's it's not that that's a bad thing to have, you know, have fruitful and faithful ministry. But but I think sometimes we end up looking for numbers rather than for fr- fruitful and faithful ministry. So true.
0: Right, right, David. That's dead on of what we've kind of seen and experienced. Um, you had some you had said that some individuals walk through the church doors for different reasons and working in a church and being on a college campus now, we've seen that all across the board, that there are many individuals who are there that are like, where are the Christians? Others come in and like, where's my spouse? Where's my spouse? Is it he's, she's like, they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off like, I want to be married tomorrow or maybe even yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. so some are like very theological and then maybe some are more wanting to discover their spiritual gifts. And why am I here? What's the purpose? So we have a lot of individuals specifically, obviously you've been a part of this, but be seen the different ages and stages of life between 18 and and 29 there's a lot of things going on with where they're at whether they're um, in college they've stepped into their career maybe they're young adult parents i mean we have some people we come across that are 24 starting a family but one thing that we've really seen in our ministry and just has become more evident throughout the last 10 years of josiah and i leading together and separately is the fact that many all the thing only thing that they really want is community Some of them don't even come for Jesus or don't even come for the relationship or their future spouse. A lot of it comes down to they just want to be a part of something. And there's this extreme um, loneliness that seems to be capturing the hearts of many of our college students that come through the doors that we see. And I heard you recently share about loneliness and that only one out of three or one third of young adults in America know that somebody believes in them. Um, can you just share about that statement, or is that? Did we hear that right? Maybe that's a better question.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the proportion. Uh, it came from this connected generation study, um, where it's about a third of of young adults in the U.S. and a third of young adults around the world who say someone b- believes deeply in me. And um, it's such a sort of tragedy that that what we find is that they're more likely to say they're connected to people around the world and that events around the world matter than that those around them that are very close to them feel, cl- feel close or feel like they support them. And, um, you know, I think we are living in an age of, of heightened anxiety and anxiousness and isolation and loneliness. And those are, those are um, some of the side effects of the screen age. Um, and, and so churches can, can stand in the, in the gap um, and become places of deeper connection and of right. of meaning and of sort of life outside of ourselves. You know, I think one of the counter-cultural things we have to teach this generation is like, it's not about you, which right. is part of what, what Christianity teaches. Um, and the book of Ecclesiastes, a place of wisdom, like, you know, you can work your whole life and then and to what end and, and at what cost. Um, and so I think the wisdom literature helps helps us. You know, it, it, it's it's Ecclesiastes. I think would be a, a wonderful book for us to teach to this generation, and um, you know, for us to continue to focus in on helping this generation see the countercultural way of Jesus. That it's it's uh, not just about us, and that it's a, a way of sacrifice and, and suffering even has a, a redeeming purpose in our lives. Those are things that are very countercultural, but but deeply Christian concepts.
1: That's good. Well, <clears throat> and right along with that, talking about Digital Babylon, in biblical literacy, you know, we have this narrative of God speaking to us as, as humankind through the word, through mm-hmm. the scripture. And I think it was a connected generation study as well, David, where you had shared, I think, among Generation Z, is it 4% have a biblical worldview? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, so you know, one of the things we find is that four percent of, as you said, of Generation Z, uh, this is thirteen to eighteen year olds, as we did a teenager study, have a biblical worldview, and that that's sort of, we don't ask a young person, do you have a biblical worldview, because nobody would know quite how to answer that. <laughs> uh, but but what we do is we have a series of different questions. Uh, there are about eight of them that we go through with a, a random representative sample of teenagers. And uh, based on those eight questions, we sort of categorize a person uh, into a bucket called Biblical Worldview. Um, things like belief in the authority of scripture, uh, belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, you know, a necessity of sharing your faith with somebody else, those kinds of things. It's a pretty low bar. I mean, some people would say, and, and we have plenty of people who are you know, they dig into the weeds and they should, and they say, well, I quibble with this wording or this this statement, or, you know, you, you forgot to ask about, you know, tr- 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 Trinitarian belief or whatever. But the point is that even if you, and I think this is really important for all of us who work with young adults or for, for anyone for that matter, that even just asking eight pretty straightforward questions and adding up the results, only 4% of teenagers today, despite be- being raised in a predominantly Christian-identified generation. They're they're more likely to be atheists than ever, and there's lots of different religions among Gen Z, but they're still majority Christian. Only 4% have a biblical worldview. And I think the application for that for for leaders today is, what are you shooting for in terms of the core beliefs that young people are going to have, and how do you convey them in such a way that it's not just about our head knowledge. I just want to say that really clearly. This generation isn't just interested in, you know, having all the right answers to a multiple choice test. Right. But it has to be more than just an experience or just a, like, you know, a whole um, bunch of just nice sounding sermons that that, that, that you know, for, that's part of the point of resilient discipleship that, that we find in the Faith for Exiles is that this, this orthodoxy works itself out in people's lives. And when they work it out in their lives, their orthodoxy becomes deeper. And we find all sorts of really interesting things in our research about, for example, that those who come later to faith in their life and didn't grow up Christian are actually, for example, more likely to believe Christian orthodoxy than those that were sort of raised in the, in, in, from, okay. from, from cradle uh, to be Christian, that you have to sort of wrestle through it. You know, that for those that come to faith later, like their faith is an anchor in their life, not just an error. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's lots for us to, to to remember. It's like it's it's a it's a both end world. We've got to do great ortho, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, and uh, it's it really does uh, show itself in, in the results that we get as a as a disciple making community.
1: Completely, <clears throat> and I, I would just say it this way, David. I, I and to our listeners, I'd validate the call of God on your lives. I would say that if these two things that we just landed on on loneliness, the fact that only a third, that means two thirds of young adults don't feel that somebody believes in them. So if that doesn't show you a window of call an opportunity, like that's maybe a weakness or a perceived threat in the church, but what an opportunity for a leader to step up and say in the next generation, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. I'm with you and I'm committed to you. And Mm -hmm. we're in this together. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. You're not lonely. We're, we're, part of friendship we're a part of discipleship Mm we're in community together and then like you just said David of biblical narrative and biblical literacy like yes we should teach orthodoxy yes we should even teach an orthopraxy but even to the very heart of an orthopathos, like somebody's deepest desires Mm -hmm. that they would Mm -hmm. delight in Jesus that they have a delight in community and so our work is cut out for us as it is next generation <laughs> leaders and i just validate the call of god in our lives. It's like what you're doing matters there's a need for it in our world and we now come to the point in our interview where we get to <laughs> ask you five questions in five minutes and they're a little bit rapid fire we'll do it in five minutes or less are you up for that david to close this out I- I- I'm
2: ready. I'll try to be a uh, shorter answers.
0: <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Okay. So David question number one, what has surprised you about young adults in general?
2: I think how cool, connected, smart, honest, transparent they are, you know, there's so many negative stereotypes about millennials and Gen, Gen Z that for me, it's, I can understand why those frustrations exist, but I always think, like, what generation raised them? It's the same generation that's complaining about them. Is the generation that raised them? So um, that surprises me over and over. They're so. I just love working with and seeing, you know, young people in, inspired by the message of Jesus that it is the truest answer to the, the world's greatest needs and to our hearts' uh, deepest longings.
1: Yes, <clears throat> that will preach and. Let me ask you this. What is one tidbit of encouragement or maybe advice that you'd give to a lead pastor or a board member or somebody that's a passionate participant in community of a church trying to start or strengthen their young adult ministry?
2: Well, the easiest thing to say is this: it's it's a bit of a challenge to a a board member or a senior pastor or senior leaders that I say we're trying to do... uh, uh dial we do dial up ministry in a wi-fi world mm-hmm. so screens disciple that's the premise of digital babylon and so i see too often pastors um, and leaders saying okay well tell me what story i should use or let, let, me, let me hire you know a, a, someone like you guys Josiah i like if i could just find that right person to hire then i probably this will go away and it's i'd like to say it's almost like you know trying. um trying to do like i said dial-up ministry in a wi-fi world or you know trying to do uh ios on a desktop or trying to use you know some sort of operating system in a different context so we really do need a new operating system for ministry um not to mix too many metaphors here but um and and so it's gonna if, if 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 you're a leader who really takes this kind of ministry seriously it's going not to be ministry as usual business as usual it's going to change you as a leader and if you're not ready to dive into young adult ministry and be changed, then you shouldn't try it. I mean, like you're going to hurt more people than you actually do ministry to, to in, in a good way. So again, the, the Lord works through those imperfect efforts, but you've got to be really willing to make the kinds of changes to yourself and your ministry if you're, if you're willing to see those kinds of deep-rooted changes take place.
0: Wow, that's an excellent answer. All right, question number three. What is your favorite story you've come across about faith?
2: Wow. That's such a big one. Um, and broad. Um, I don't know. I think, um, I don't have an easy answer to that one, but, um, I certainly have seen in my life, my family's life, you know, the testing of faith. My wife has brain cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, her name is Jill and, and, uh, we blogged about that at a a family blog called prayforjill.com. And, um, so, you know, the, it's, it's not my favorite story, but it is a true story and it's a, it's a, it's a true story of Jesus showing up and and our faith and our community and our prayers sustaining us, you know, even during, during that season. Um, and so, you know, I, I gave a speech, a commencement speech to, uh, to, to Christian college a year and a half ago after my wife was diagnosed. And, and I feel like I was like, you know, I was like, you're prepared for success, but are you prepared to suffer? And it might only be in the context of suffering that we're, truly able to witness to our hope in Jesus because you know everyone expects us to be Christian there's no no big deal when you're Christian when things are going great but um, to be Christian to believe and to 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 to, um, see that God doesn't waste our suffering that's a deeper uh, witness to the world and um, anyway it's been hard to go through can't can't even put all that into words Uh, but uh, but I think that's that's
1: one true story about how faith has shown up in my life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and ever since we saw the tweet and just mm-hmm. like we were praying for you this morning we're with you in this and i know our our community of listeners as well as just mm-hmm. lifting up jill and mm-hmm. lifting you guys up in your time of need and thank you thank you josiah yeah Thanks a lot. yeah something you said is like we're prepared for success but are we prepared for suffering and similar to like success is also failure is one of the greatest educators would you be willing to open up with our listeners about maybe an epic failure you experienced in life business or ministry sure man but that would take
2: uh, many many seasons of podcasts so and then and then my kids would finally find that to be uh, worthwhile right like they would say oh. You're not a professional listener, you're a professional mistake maker oh, uh, you're the club right <laughs> exactly just wait till they have kids man they they keep you honest um, so i uh I, we did a big project a few years ago called uh called frames barn frames um and that was you know a big a big gamble uh, for our team. We spent about a year working on these nine mini books and um we had a lot a lot of fun making them and and you know they they came uh, roaring out of the gate with a big event. We had a big like um, webcast or whatever. We thought for sure this was gonna change publishing. Uh, but I think some of those copies, some of those books only sold like a hundred copies, you know, it was like this uh, sort of big bang and, and no sizzle. Or, all, or, or just or big, oh, I'm, what am I saying here? All, all sizzle and no steak or, you know, no, no real market, market work. So, you know, it was really hard to, we got the, you know, cancellation of the next project project and you know we had to change some staff and go through a lot of soul searching about this big this big gamble we put you know so much of our eggs in that basket and um you know there were some things that worked better than we expected like we learned a ton and and actually one of my advisors in the first few days after that happened he's like okay i want you to sit down i want you to write just a list of all the things that you really learned all the things that went really well and all the things that didn't didn't and, and I want you to write down what would you do differently? And, you know, what are the lessons of this failure? And over the next 60, 90 days, um, the clarity about all that we learned, what we, how we could learn from failure, how we could reorient our efforts. We have a, we've done a line of business now. Uh, we're not a very big company, but over multiple years, we've done about six and a half, seven million dollars out of one, one line of business that was a was a based primarily on all the learnings from that failure and so had we not failed had we not taken the time to learn from those failures uh, and process them and talk openly and candidly and for me to be like you know not blaming others but taking responsibility for the things that we could have done differently Um, and some of those things were out of our hands but they weren't they weren't entirely out of our hands And um, so, yeah, I think that's a a story. And there's many more failures that didn't turn into like, you know, a line of business that works. So, you know, I'll save those for another time. But um, those are, those are, um, those meant a lot to me to learn through failure. And I think that's important for all of us in ministry and life.
0: Yes, we all have those failure moments, but we also have those teachable moments. And we want to end on a positive note with you, David, today. If you could tell a group of pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, what would you leave them with?
2: I would leave them with this sense that God is uh, desiring to speak into our very hearts, and um, you know, it it can be really, really lonely and leading, and in our, we talk about loneliness in general in the generation, but I think Christian leaders face a lot of loneliness. Um, You know, we try to compare ourselves with other people, and you know, uh, Josiah and Micah have a successful podcast and you know not as good as them or David Kinnaman has written books and I haven't done that or you know like I got it's weird because the more successful I get I don't I don't actually get less jealous of others or Mm. or you know any more secure in some way in, in in my in my own gifts um it that all of that our security our identity our deepest longings our sense of of why we why we matter it all comes only and solely through our identity in Christ. And, and this is the great message of, I think, scripture that it's like why I still believe is that, you know, Jesus speaks these deep and true things to us um, through, through the page of scripture, through the historical record, through the, through the witness of, of, you know, uh, Christians who come before that our lives mean something in light of his life. And he, he, he you know, he speaks to us. He, he desires uh, to be made known in us and through us. Not just to build a big church, a big young adult ministry, but because he he desires our very hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, better is one day in in your courts than a thousand in right. college ministry, and um, and so I think that's something we have to keep deep at our hearts and in, in whatever levels of ministry, in, in in wherever we minister.
1: Beautiful, amazing note to end on, David. And we learned a lot. <clears throat> there was things that I didn't know. Um, thanks for opening up about successes, struggles failures suffering and um, just what you've learned to share with others and so we really enjoyed the conversation thanks for just spending time with our audience today David
2: yeah of course Josiah Mike. it's such a great pleasure to meet you guys I forward to calling you friends from here on and good luck in uh, the next few months as you guys welcome a new member to the family and uh, um, hopefully that's something you announced before and not like spilling the beans to your parents oh, yeah. or something <laughs> like that <laughs>
0: can't hide it anymore. They think I'm smuggling watermelons.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine your parents listening to the podcast, and like, What, you guys are pregnant? What was that? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was probably...
0: guys. <laughs>
2: anyway, congratulations to you guys and it's really fun to talk today. Um so neat to hear your story and you know just the, like the lord's faithfulness in you know weaving our stories together that you know that getting on a plane coming to minneapolis doing it, you lost the lost a thing i'd inspire you josiah and you know all the ways you're going to inspire so many others too so thanks for having me we'll
0: it. be praying for you and your family so thank you so much david
2: you bet all the best thanks all right, so much.
1: see ya